kids are, as I've been told to say, dismissed for children's worship. And so while the kids are are leaving, uh, which at least in my church is usually the most chaotic part of the service, uh, let me just take this moment to reintroduce myself and to say thanks again once once more for letting me be with you. My name is Phil. Uh, I grew up here in the West End area of Richmond, and my parents uh, still live in the West End. My parents are here this morning. I'm really glad that they are able to be here and to worship with with us, uh, with you today. And it's been a joy for me to, to be here over the course of this weekend. If uh, you weren't able to be here on Friday, I spent a, a few minutes talking about our union with Christ, uh, obviously the theme uh, of this weekend, but also, as you heard from Roger, uh, going to be more of the theme that you guys are going to be talking about. And on Friday, I, I tried to uh, look at three different biblical pictures of our union with Christ And I might refer to some of that today as well, how our union with Christ is like a marriage. It's like uh, the vine and the branches from John 15. And it's also like uh, a boat in the sense that Jesus is our anchor and our forerunner from Hebrews chapter 6. So um, those are not the only pictures of our union with Christ, but those are the ones that we looked at on Friday. Uh, it's, been, it's been good to be here as well. I feel like I've learned a lot, not just about uh, this church and uh, how great you are and why it's such a blessing to be uh, supported by you and to be featured on pages 16 and 17 of the bulletin. It's, it's great to be in there, but it's, it's even better to be here in person. Um, I have decided that I'm going to add uh, into our budget for next year at church a, a church loom. Um, I did not know that was something that you could do, uh, and I've been inspired to add that to our budget. Uh, and also, I didn't get to meet him last night, but I am going to be recruiting Jaybird uh, to come to Prague uh, so that he can work in the nursery. Uh, <laughs> um, and also that he can MC every event that we do. I would create events just for Jaybird to MC. That was, uh, uh, it was good. Of course, it wasn't the best part of last night. The best part was getting to hear from you all and getting to hear from your stories uh, and to hear what God has done over the course of your 25 years. Um, When I was telling people that I was coming to uh, my hometown, uh, I was excited to be able to experience the crisp fall weather, uh, which Uh, did not greet me when I first arrived a few days ago. I feel like I've gotten to experience a literal change of season uh, over the last few days. Um, I was worried that it was always only humid here in Richmond. Uh, That that would be different, Uh, but I'm very glad that it has uh, gotten cooler. Uh, And so I love coming to my, my hometown. But in a few days, I'm going to go back to my home in Prague. Uh, so Richmond's not really my home, um, but in some ways Prague is not really my home either. I'm not, you know, from there. Um, and the idea of home has become a little more fluid as I get older, um, and it's hard to define. 
And I feel that a lot with my kids. We have three kids, uh, ages 15, 13, and 10. They go to an international school. Uh, they worship at our international church. They have friends. We have friends from all over the world who kind of come and go uh, in seasons. And so uh, everyone has this idea that home is a little more fluid. Uh, some of my kids' friends uh, feel this more than others. And so when we meet their friends, we often ask, where do you come from? Where, where are you from? And th- we get lots of different answers. And sometimes there is a long pause because they don't know how to answer that question. Uh, sometimes they'll, they'll, answer, they'll answer very confidently. And one of my favorites was my daughter's friend was visiting, and we asked, where are you from? And, and uh, he said, Korea. And I said, wow, when, when was the last time you were there? And he said, oh, I've never been. (laughs) And I thought, that is amazing to say that you're from somewhere and you've actually never been there. That's an interesting concept. Uh, I think it was even that year the school put on the play The Wizard of Oz. And as I was hearing the girl say, who was Dorothy, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. I was thinking about all of these kids and my kids uh, how I'm ruining their hearts and not giving them an identity of home. But just thinking of all of these kids who don't have necessarily uh, an earthly home. And then I was comforted by that fact. Because in many ways, the idea of having a home that we have never gotten to go to yet is, of course, a beautiful Christian idea. Um, I recently read a, a really good biography of C.S. Lewis, and this, believe it or not, is one of his themes in his writings, and he called it uh, a nostalgia for paradise. This idea that we feel nostalgic, that we long for this place that we've actually never yet been to. Um, let me just read one of the more famous passages that he wrote that kind of captures this. It's the first time that the kids from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe hear the name Aslan. And you may know this passage, but this is sort of a, uh, a glimpse into what this nostalgia for paradise sounds like. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand. But in the dream, it feels as if it had some enormous meaning either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. That's nostalgia for paradise. And I want to propose to you that that shapes your vision. That shapes who you have been as a church for these 25 years. That will shape who you will be for the next 25 years. And so with this idea of a nostalgia for paradise, I want to look at the way that Scripture talks about this. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 to see what God wants us to know. Uh, about this kind of perspective as we think about your vision going forward. Uh, Our passage is uh, the third chapter of Ephesians, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, This is not the first prayer of Paul's in the book of Ephesians. It's not the first time he prays for them in this letter. At the end of chapter 1, he gives thanks for them. He prays uh, for this church. And it's clear from these two prayers, when you put them together, how much he cares, how deeply he cares for God and for God's people. And right now, these two prayers uh, resonate quite deeply with me. This prayer that I just read that we're going to be talking about has four specific uh, requests, petitions that Paul prays for this church, and and I've been praying these for you as I've been preparing over the last few weeks. And I have to say, without exaggeration, this is the perfect passage for a visiting missionary to read, much less preach, to a supporting church, because it it captures uh, the gratitude that I feel for you, but also the prayer of uh, God strengthening you as you move forward. Um, the first prayer, I also feel quite deeply. It's a, it's a prayer as Paul um, just talks about how thankful he is for them. And I feel that because I'm thankful for my church. And just as Paul misses, missed the Ephesian church, I miss my home church um, in Prague. And, and not just today, because I'm here, but I've, I've had to be away for the last uh, four and a half months from my church. It's a very strange, obscure American law. I don't want to go into too much boring detail, but every five years uh, for six months, I can't work in the Czech Republic. And so I'm right now in the middle of this period of time where I have not been able to uh, be at and worship with my home church. So I miss them a lot. Uh, I've heard they're doing well. In fact, I've heard that they're, they're growing and I'm uh, trying not to draw too many conclusions from (laughs) that fact that they are doing really well, uh, and I'm not there. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad. I'm really glad, but I miss them. And so, in fact, they're worshiping right now because we worship in the afternoons in Prague. And so it's nice to think that um, as we're worshiping, so are they. So I miss them. But I'm glad for this second prayer as well. And I'm glad that I get to, to talk to us and talk to you about these four things that Paul prays for. Before we look at these four things, though, notice how he started. He says, for this reason, in verse 14. And when you read that or hear that, you automatically think, well, what reason? What is is he talking about? And so let me just give you a couple of sentences of context. Because he actually interrupted himself in his letter. I mentioned having the gift of interruptibility. It's, It's not a gift yet. I'm working on developing the gift of interruptibility, uh, as I mentioned on Friday night, Paul interrupts himself. And he did that in the first part of this chapter by just saying how thankful he was that God is using him in the lives of, of believers and to, to plant churches. Before that, before he interrupted himself, he had been talking about, guess what, union with Christ at the end of chapter 2. 
In Ephesians chapter 2, he wrote this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's writing to this Gentile audience, and he is letting them know as he is experiencing this wonderful mystery uh, of God that Gentiles are now part of the family of God, something they could never have predicted when they started. As you look around West End and you see how it's changed over the last 25 years, and there's no way you could have predicted what West End looked like. In, in the same way, Paul and the apostles could have had no idea that the family of God was going to include Gentiles 25 years into its short history. So that should give us some comfort that God loves to surprise us with what things look like. So he's telling them that you are united. Gentiles and Jews are united because of Christ. Because of their union with Christ together, they are also united together. And their union is the foundation for their faith. You heard Roger read part of uh, the initial email to the vision team about union with Christ and this vision. And he said that Christ Jesus is their cornerstone. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And it's another picture of our union. It's not just a marriage, vine and branches, and a boat with an anchor. It's also a building. And that's Ephesians 2. So after this picture of a building and being united to Christ, he returns to this point and he says, for this reason, for this reason of our union with Christ, he prays. And Paul prays four things for the church in Ephesus. And this is what I have been praying for you and will continue to pray uh, for you in the next 25 years. To be strengthened in your faith, to be rooted in love, to know the love of Christ, and to be filled with God's fullness. I want to look at those, just each of those for a couple minutes. First, strengthened in faith. Verse 16, he says that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And when you hear that, you may have a couple of questions, like what power is he really referring to? Is this something that I don't have? Um, where can I get this power? Am I a lesser Christian because I don't have or feel this powerful Holy Spirit working in me? Should I be looking for something more? And, and the short answer is uh, no. You, as a Christian, you currently have access to all of the power that you will ever need through the Holy Spirit. As I was uh, coming here, I uh, sat down on the long flight and a woman sat down next to me, and it turns out that her name is Pat, and she introduced herself as a Pentecostal. I was excited because I am too. <laughs> I'm a Pentecostal Presbyterian. I didn't introduce myself that way, and I wish I had because I had literally just been to a conference in June called Pentecostal Presbyterianism, and it was a wonderful reminder that we are Pentecostals in that we believe in Pentecost, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit and we have access to this power of the indwelling spirit. And it was a wonderful flight that we got to talk and, and we even prayed together on the plane. And as I was reviewing my notes on my laptop, at one point I even wrote down right here, we are Pentecostal Presbyterians in the hopes that maybe Pat would look at my notes and see that. But I, I, I don't know if she did. But I know she's praying right now for this service. I know she is. We have this power. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who strengthens us. And this really is the idea, as we talked about on Friday, 
that our union with Christ is, uh, is, is also one way to describe our ongoing strengthening faith, the vine and the branches. That is why verse 17 may sound strange, but it's not. Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And you may wonder, I thought he already was dwelling. He is. Paul is essentially saying, this is what's happening. Continue to be strengthened by what's happening. Be the branch that is continually nourished by the vine. Be united. Be strengthened in that union. And so in this wonderful Trinitarian verse, these two verses, as we are receiving the strengthening by the Spirit through the presence of Christ, this is all, as he said, according to the riches of the Father. Paul simply wants the church to grow in what is already true. And that is my prayer for you, that you will be strengthened in what is already true about you, that you will grow in your faith, that you will be Pentecostal Presbyterians looking to the power of that same Holy Spirit that is already present in you, the same power that is going to come up at the end here, the same power that God has. Be strengthened so that in 25 more years you can say, now Look at what God has done in us and through us. We're even needier. We're even more dependent on him than we were in 2018. Thank God. So be strengthened by the power of the Spirit. Secondly, be rooted in love. Verse 17, the end of 17. This is building uh, on itself. All of these steps are building. And so first, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you are united to Christ... That union comes from love. It comes from the love of the Father, as Romans says. God shows us his love. How does he do that? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It started with God's love. And so this love we experience from the triune God now sets off what has been called, someone says, the most powerful and blessed chain reaction in the whole universe. Because that love relationship that we are now part of through our union enables us to be defined by love in all of our relationships. Love for God, love for each other, love for anyone, even if they never come through the doors of West End Presbyterian Church. And you do this very well. It's very evident. It's been evident to me over the last couple of days. I knew it before as well. Roger mentioned this in the vision as he reread the vision for you all, which is to be a community of faith expressing itself through love. And that is, that is bold. <laughs> and that is awesome. But it's also hard. And the reason you guys do this well is because of the stories that you were sharing last night. Because they were not all neat and tidy stories. They were real stories about what's really happening and how you have demonstrated love for each other in spite of and then in the midst of those hard times and those hard periods. And it sounds like it starts with your, your leadership, your pastors and your elders who model that very well, who model the fact that it's okay to be messy because it points us to the fact that we have a Savior who helps us in our messiness. Continue to be messy with each other. 
and to demonstrate love for each other through that because that is a reminder of how much God loves you in the midst of your messiness. Let me tell you how this became real to me not too long ago. Uh, I have a, f- a friend in Prague, and his name is Tom. Uh, he's Czech, so it's Tomasz, but we call him Tom. And Tom is my age, um, and he has quite a few problems in his life. Uh, most, most of them are uh, mental or um, psychological. I'm not exactly sure. We're not exactly sure what's, what really is going on. Uh, but he's a fairly messy guy um, in all senses of that, of that word. Uh, he's a member of our church. Um, he, if we gave out attendance awards, he would win far and above anybody else, including me, probably. He is always there. He's always early. Um, and, and I've learned that I can no longer ask rhetorical questions in my sermons because if I do, he will probably answer them. And he will probably be correct in the answer, but sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's, it's not correct. And then we have a conversation in front of everybody. And so I've learned to not ask rhetorical questions as much as I used to because of Tom. Um, A number of years ago, we invited anyone in the church who was interested to go to a conference in London, uh, outside London. And it was a Sonship conference, as uh, one like Roger mentioned. And uh, no one took me up on this offer except Tom. And so my wife said, we can't send Tom by himself to this conference for many reasons, and you need to go with him. And I was like, you're right. And so I was uh, not excited to go on a week-long trip with Tom. Um, And I was especially not excited when we got to the airport and we had an incident at security and we hadn't even boarded the plane and I had to make a choice. I need to either embrace this week and try to love Tom or this is going to be the worst week of my life. And so I embraced it, and I, um, I learned a lot about Tom, um, and he's a friend now, mostly because of this trip. And not because of anything he did, but because of what God did. So over the course of this week, um, I, I had to continually ask Tom uh, to do things. Tom, you've got you to wipe your mouth. Uh, Tom, you've got to pull up your pants. Um, Tom, you should probably take a shower this morning. But we were also um, learning a lot about the gospel together. And we would go to a meal, and I would come back, and I would look in the mirror, and I would have all this food in my teeth. And I would walk around, and I would look down, and my shoe was untied all the time for some reason. And then my deodorant started giving me a rash, so I couldn't use deodorant anymore over the course of this week. And all of a sudden, I realized I'm just as messy (laughs) not just physically, because we were hearing about the gospel together and our need for it. And I um, was convicted and had to repent of the fact that I thought I had all the answers for Tom and that I have it all together, and I don't. And so Tom um, helps me remember and realize the gospel. I am Tom. I'm just as messy. Be messy with each other because that's how you're going to remember the love that God has for you in spite of your messiness. So be rooted in love. Third, know the love of Christ. This is verses 18 and 19. And Paul uses these wonderful words to describe dimensions and the boundlessness of the love of Christ. 
Um, the wonderful thing about a relationship based in love is that it should deepen. So my parents are about to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary next year. I'm very excited for them. But imagine if their love never grew over the course of those 50 years. That would be really sad. Not, not like their love grew any less, like they didn't love each other less, but what if they just didn't love each other any more than they did 50 years ago? That, w- that wouldn't be much to celebrate. That would be saying, well, you lived together for 50 years. Congratulations. That's it. You don't love each other anymore. You don't know anything more about each other. You haven't matured in your relationship. That's, that would be ridiculous. Our love is supposed to grow in relationship. It's supposed to mature. And this is what Paul is praying, that their understanding of Christ's love will grow and keep growing and keep growing for two reasons. One, it's boundless. It's limitless. He uses these dimensions. And at first I thought he was just picking random dimensions and random words. But then uh, as I, I read, someone did a closer analysis of these words. And I love this because This author writes, it's legitimate to say that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, especially Jews and Gentiles, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him or her to heaven. So, of course, we can always be growing and maturing in our knowledge of Christ's love for us in all of those dimensions. But secondly, it's also a prayer of Paul's because he wants that growth to happen together. It's a communal effort. As he says in verse 18, it's with all the saints. You're not supposed to try to do this by yourself. You're supposed to use the family of God to help you do that. And so I pray for you that you will know more of the love of Christ together. For you, as you come together with all kinds of saints that God brings you, regardless of who they are or where they've come from, to continue exploring all of the dimensions of Christ's love for you. Just as it's impossible to have predicted what West End would look like today when it started, it's, it's impossible to imagine what it will look like in 25 years, demographically, socioeconomically, geographically, what my big question is honestly, what will Regency Square become? <laughs> just, what will it be? It's like a big question mark looming over it when I drive by it now. And it's impossible to know the answer to any of those questions. And that's okay. It's good to plan, it's good to pray, it's good to envision. But in some ways, it doesn't matter what you look like as a church. It matters what you are focused on, and that is knowing Christ's love more together. And so lastly, we've heard the prayer of Paul to be strengthened in their faith, rooted in love, to know Christ's love, and lastly, to be filled with God's fullness. And quickly, what is he talking about here? What does that mean? It's, It's one of his favorite phrases that he uses in Ephesians and in Colossians. And I think it helps when you put those two books together, because in Colossians, he talks about God's fullness dwelling in Christ and Christ's fullness dwelling in us. And so in some ways, this is like a transitive property of fullness here. Ephesians summarizes it. God's fullness is therefore possible to be in us because of those two things, again, because of our union. What, is it, what does it really mean? One application for us 
is that our union with Christ means that you can be more like Christ. As you become more aware of who you were created to be through the triune God. Your union with Christ enables you to be more like Christ. I have made a word, Christified. As you are Christified because of your union, to be more like him as you are more aware of who he has made you to be. Uh, One way to think about this in Prague is through all of the different renovations that happened. Um, Prague is a very old city. All of the buildings are pretty much older than America. And so there are quite often a lot of renovations that happen um, and restoration projects. Uh, the, the Prague clock is, is maybe one of the more famous things, and they just finished renovating it. And so uh, there was scaffolding all up and down the main tower in the Old Town Square for, for almost a year as they were renovating the clock. And so everyone is excited when you see scaffolding go up because that means they're going to make something better. They're going to renovate it and improve it, maybe restore it to some of its original glory. But when you see the scaffolding come down, and there was a fantastic celebration in the square when the clock was unveiled once more, everyone is excited. Everyone's excited to see a restoration. Friends, you are a restoration project. (laughs) You have been restored, and you are being restored. You are being Christified, and that's exciting. How do you see that in this church? How do you see that in the people around you? Celebrate the fact that you are being restored and being made into something that you... That you are returning to. There's a nostalgia for something more. So we come to the end of of Paul's prayer. and, And the end of my prayer for you is this wonderful conclusion in verses 20 and 21. And it's really a a doxology. Um, It's uh, the benediction that I will be using in just a few moments to conclude our service. But he talks about the power once more in verse 20. And he says that power is within us. He talks about the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, verse 21. And I want you to remember what we talked about on Friday when we said the union with Christ is a marriage between the bride, the church, and the bridegroom, Christ. There's the marriage right there in verse 21. Paul is asking for glory to be in that union between the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. So this is my prayer for you. And so when you think about your vision, as you pray through your vision, my prayer is that you live as restored Christians, that you live as complete Christians, complete in the triune God, filled with the fullness of God, and that you live as transformed Christians, being more and more like Christ. And you have a home. West End is your your temporary home. However long you find yourselves here, however long West End is here, this is the home that you've been called to live and to serve and to worship together and to be united to Christ here. But I I pray that you keep your nostalgia for your your future home uh, alive and well, and you keep that together. Long for your heavenly home together. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, that we are united to you. And in this is our life. And it's because of the love of your Father that we can say we belong to you and you are in us. And we pray that uh, this will fuel and uh, drive us uh, back to you 
uh, when we doubt who we are or what we should do. And I pray that for ourselves and I pray that for West End. And so, Lord, I commit uh, this church to you. Will you continue uh, to make your glory known, to make your name great in them and through them? Thank you for uh, all that you have done through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.